Hello, and welcome to the Technicast. My name is Felix Klotzen, and together with my colleagues Polly Hember and Julian Klein, we talk to a range of researchers from across the arts and humanities. Firstly, a big thank you to everyone who joined us for our live special episode during the January Congress hosted by Kingston University, and a special thanks to our wonderful contributors, Rosalind Holgate-Smith and John Mason. If you missed either their talks or our live Q&A, you can catch it now on our feed wherever you get your podcasts. This month's theme is identities, and we're delighted to be joined by Abby Cairns, who is doing a PhD at Norwich University of the Arts. In her talk, we will hear from a composite character called Jessica about her identity as an artist teacher. And you can look forward to exploring dual identities, links between storytelling and theory, and of course, PowerPoint. Jessica's a vignette, becoming an artist teacher in adult unity learning. Jessica is a composite character of four artist teachers in ACL. Jessica hadn't always been an artist teacher. Aged between 30 and 54, she spent the first part of her career as a professional artist. This is her story of how she became an artist teacher in adult community learning. Chapter 1. Compulsive Creative Jessica had always had an interest in art, right from when she was a little girl, around 7 or 8 years old. She grew up in inspirational surroundings of inspirational people, from her brilliant teachers to her family. Her earliest memories include getting old bits of wood from her dad's offcuts and painting them in his workshop, running a Saturday club for her friends where they would create and make stuff in the shed, and sitting in her bedroom drawing, colouring and painting. You name it, she would do it. She just had an overriding desire to create, and it came naturally to her from a very young age. For Jessica, art was a very known thing. This desire led her to complete further and higher education in her art specialism, something she couldn't imagine not doing, something that would feel really strange, no really wrong not to do. There was never a question about it, the art room was her space, her place to go. It was at this point that Jessica started to identify as an artist. She made a decision, moved away from home to go to a certain educational institution and committed to the degree. In this moment, Jessica was forming her future life direction. Upon leaving education, Jessica worked as a freelance artist. She had her own studio and occasionally ran art workshops, but she missed interacting with people. She realised it wouldn't be enough for her just to be in her studio all day, alone. Chapter 2. Upward Spiral After a brief spell as a professional artist, Jessica decided she needed a change. There was no huge breaking point, just lots of little niggles that wore her down. Being a professional artist came with its challenges. It was isolating and the art world was competitive. Jessica had some previous informal teaching experience which she had enjoyed and decided that a move into education was a logical step. Besides, she wanted to give some skills back and do something more social. Jessica found that teaching wasn't all about whiteboards and having learners in front of you, that she didn't need to be at the front of the classroom, that she needed to be in the thick of it. She also found that becoming a teacher was about gaining teaching qualifications. During this time, Jessica had a few influential teachers to draw upon who shaped who she was in the role. Jessica started to feel like a teacher quite soon after stepping into the classroom. She started to feel autonomous and skilled in the role. Learners were responding well to the brief she set, which she felt was very positive. While she had less time for her art, she found that she was more confident in herself. Jessica's identity was transforming. Chapter 3. Horizon Jessica started to feel like an artist teacher after spending some time in the role. 
She had to first become an artist and a teacher separately before she could encompass the dual role. Jessica found that access to subject-specific continued professional development allowed her to become the full package of an artist-teacher. Teaching allowed Jessica to be around people. And while the hours were very unstable, she would find out a week before the class started if it was running or not, she was able to divvy out her time and have a 50-50 career. Each week, Jessica spends around 0-15 to hours on each practice. Jessica enjoys the freedom of ACL. She can put herself across and do it in her own way. As an artist teacher, she can make work alongside students who she learns so much from. At times, Jessica feels that teaching practice takes over a little bit of her mind space from her artistic practice. However, overall she feels that they sit quite nicely together. She loves both. My research interrogating artist-teacher identity transformation in adult community learning was inspired by my personal experience of the two roles of artist and teacher colliding, and then by the lack of research I found in the field and wanting to educate myself about the dual role in this educational context. My research looks to explore and adequately define this role, so that the identity of the artist-teacher in ACL can be better understood. You've just listened to one of three vignettes written about the life of a composite character. Jessica is a female-identifying composite character, as participant research showed the majority of artist-teachers in ACL are a female, with 76% of those surveyed identifying in this way. This shows a difference between artist-teachers in ACL and other educational contexts, such as HE, as in his 2008 book, Tradition Changes, Artists Talk About Teaching, John Reardon's interview sample of artist-teachers in this sector showed that 88% were male. Jessica is joined by composite characters Emily, aged between 25 and 44, and Carol, aged between 60 and 64. Each character's story shows the slightly different process of transformation the individual goes through to becoming an artist-teacher in ACL, depending on their age. These stories have been constructed with the use of second-generation and Charmazian grounded theory, autoethnography and life-story interviewing with 16 artist-teachers in ACL, which has allowed for the basic social process to be constructed. Employing McAdams' 2012 life story interviewing techniques, artist-teacher participants were asked to break their professional careers down into three chapters, when they became an artist, a teacher and an artist-teacher. Themes in these were then taken and expanded within the vignettes and further informed by data collected from online surveys with 42 artist-teachers in ACL. The aim of the research is to construct a substantive theory which outlines the identity transformation of artist-teachers in ACL based on the processes and patterns of behaviour evident in the participant sample. These methodologies have been chosen due to their links to storytelling. Life story interviews allows me to collect stories from others, while autoethnography allows for inclusion of my own. Positioning myself as an object of the research and gives me a framework for thinking about the culture that I am within and my experience of it. Through the thick descriptions of the culture I am embedded in and writing about, I can facilitate an understanding of the culture for a reader outside of it. Similar to grounded theory, autoethnography is also concerned with the generalizability of a story, the aim being that the constructed story will be able to speak to others about their experiences. Just as the aim of grounded theory is for the substantive theory to be applicable to the individuals within the studied or similar context, this research is important as it addresses a gap in knowledge. While there has been much published on artist teachers in other educational contexts, such as secondary and higher education, those in adult community learning have been overlooked. The Department for Education 2019 outlined that ACL includes community-based and outreach learning opportunities delivered by local authorities and general further education colleges. Typically, this offer is for learners aged 19 plus. Some of the other qualities of this sector include the low status of FE, as highlighted by Anne Briggs in her 2007 journal article, Exploring Professional Identities, Middle Leadership and Further Education Colleges, 
The lack of legal requirement for teaching qualifications, the 2019 Argo Review Independent Panel Report to the Review of Post-18 Education and Funding outlines how, in 2013, the Conservative Party removed this legal requirement, the low pay in the sector, also outlined in the Argo Review, and the precarious working hours, as acknowledged in the 2021 Westminster Hall debate entitled Third Report of the Education Committee, Plan for an Adult Skills and Lifelong Learning Revolution. Further highlighted by a 2020 report from the Education and Training Foundation which outlined workforce data for FE in England from the academic year 2018-2019, showing that over 43% of all those employed by local authorities are on casual contracts, in contrast to just over 8% of those in general FE colleges. As highlighted by Jessica, she only teaches 50% of the time, and she's never sure if her courses are going to be running. But what is an artist teacher? In the absence of a published definition for the artist teacher in ACL, this research will momentarily borrow the following definition from Alan Thornton, who writes from a predominantly secondary education perspective. In his 2013 book, Artist Researcher Teacher, he positions the artist teacher as an individual who practices making art and teaching art and is dedicated to both activities as a practitioner. We can see this reflected in Jessica's account as she loves and makes time for both. My research challenges this definition, evaluating its usefulness and applicability to the ACL sector. Interview data revealed that just 33% of artist teacher participants in ACL resonated with Thornton's definition, revealing the need for a new one. Participants were drawn to other definitions of artist teacher and similar terms, such as Mark Graham and James Rees' 2014 definition of an artist teacher as a dual citizen, a teacher during the day and at night a struggling artist. Published in their research paper, Pick up sticks, artist teacher interconnectedness and fragility, pedagogy as an artistic encounter. Their definition has an emphasis on the duality and comments on time. Additionally, Marit Olwood's 2015 definition also proved popular. They define the teaching artist as a professional artist with the competencies needed to work in and through the arts in an educational and or community setting. Published in their paper, In the Age of the Teaching Artist, What Teaching Artists Are and Do, they comment on the educational context. This resonated with participants as it provides a backdrop for their role. As we see in Chapter 3, Jessica specifically teaches and likes teaching in ACL. In this sector, she can be herself and can teach how she pleases. She is not constrained by curriculum or standardisation. I argue that this needs to be reflected when defining the role. As the story progresses, we see Jessica's identity transitioning from artist to teacher to artist teacher. This process was first highlighted in my autoethnographic writing. I am an artist. It is May 2013 and I am standing in front of my artwork at the Art Exchange Gallery at the University of Essex. Rewind a few weeks prior, in my Art Foundation studio, I see a poster pinned onto the otherwise empty notice board. An open call for student art, open for just two weeks but open nonetheless for the public my first real exhibition. Artwork accepted, an A3 mounted board, thick cardboard, black on one side, white on the other, adorned with an array of differently sized circles and lines. Private view, unattended or perhaps unhosted. I arrive at the gallery with my mum and grandparents a week into the exhibition. My granddad takes a picture of me outside the gallery and then of my work. I feel proud. I am a teacher. It is 2017 and I have a classroom and a whiteboard. The kind with the dry white pens rather than an interactive one. The art department is as it was when I was a student in this very room years ago, slightly outdated. However, I have a set of four whiteboard pens bestowed upon me during the PGC induction. Black, red, blue and green. Later, I replace the whiteboard with a projector and PowerPoint. 
Here I can see that I found my thing. PowerPoints become my teaching thing. Planning them and using them make me feel like a teacher. I'm an artist teacher. It is 2017. And becoming an artist teacher, I first had to become each separate entities. There was a short period of time in which I was an artist and a teacher. This time existed at the start of my PTCE and ceased before the end of the course. Here I was an artist in one context and a teacher in another. There was no crossover between my art practice and my teaching. Teaching within my PGCE placement was all about teaching theory and learning how to be in a classroom with learners. At home, teaching practice and art practice took place on my bedroom floor. This meant that both existed side by side, and neither was ever too far away, making the transformation into an artist teacher a natural one. This was also a reoccurring theme in participant research with artist teachers in ACL. Within the Life Story interviews, the most dominant way of understanding the transformation to artist teacher was in terms of first becoming an artist, then a teacher, and then finally an artist teacher. Once we arrive at the artist teacher identity, the duality of the role becomes important, as outlined by Graham and Ree's definition shared earlier. This emerged in Jessica's story in relation to her 50-50 career, and is substantiated by data from the Department for Education's 2018 College Staff Survey which highlight this is a phenomenon in creative and design tutors in FE2, with 30% of those surveyed stating that they still work in industry, compared to just 17% of all other vocational tutors in general FE. This rises dramatically within my research of artist teachers in ACL, with a huge 90% of artist teachers surveyed still being practising artists, showing that the dedication to both, as Thornton would put it, is stronger in ACL than in general FE. Jessica's story positions dedication as relating to splitting time between art practice and art teaching. While Jessica is positioning herself as splitting her time equally, it becomes clear that this is a very unstable role. As can be seen in the story, courses can be cancelled at the last minute, relating back to the precarious working conditions of the sector as outlined by the 2021 Westminster Hall debate. Additionally, the Education and Training Foundation's 2020 report states that around 34% of staff at local authority providers work less than 20% of full-time. Learners become of high importance in ACL, as without them courses do not run and artist teachers lose work, an oddity of the sector, in comparison to general FE and secondary education where teachers are likely to be contracted rather than sessional tutors. The use of life story interviewing and autoethnographic writing has allowed me to start unpacking the different aspects of professional identity and to see how I and others have transformed into artist teachers in ACL. Not all artist teachers in ACL will share in all aspects of the stories written. However, storytelling is not about uncovering universal truths, but instead more focused on uncovering theoretically plausible possibilities. This preliminary research has revealed the need for a new definition for the artist teacher in ACL one that encompasses the educational context. To understand the artist teacher in ACL, it has become clear that we need to understand the characteristics of ACL as an educational sector, so that when someone identifies in this way, we understand the implications of that, including that they are dedicated to art practice and art teaching, and that the role can be unstable and reliant on learner enrolment, but in the role that they have autonomy and can do it their own way. The implications for this research are far-reaching, They highlight the differences between ACL and other educational sectors and start to fill a gap in knowledge around the understanding of the role of the artist teacher in ACL. These findings also help us recognise the journeys of those who might become an artist teacher in ACL in the future. A big thank you to Jessica there. And I'm now pleased to be joined by Abby herself, where we will be talking more about her practice 
and the artist-teacher community. Hello, Abby. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us. Really excited. You were telling us in your wonderful piece about adult community learning. And I wondered if you would start by giving us an idea of who that entails. What kind of people do you teach? Yeah, sure. So adult community learning is kind of a subsection of further education, except for we are catering for 19 plus, essentially, which separates us out from all the other educational contexts. When you think of adults, sometimes you think of 18 plus, but it's all to do with funding, as you can imagine. So on the courses I teach, we'll have people that are towards the 19 age, right up until I think one of my oldest learners was 93 years old. So everywhere in between and from different background so you have people that are retired people that are out of work for whatever reason people that are getting their lives back after perhaps having children or a career break or just people that fancy trying something new they perhaps didn't have chance to try it out when they're doing their own compulsory education for whatever reason so it's nice to be able to fill that gap I think so they're doing it for different reasons really a lot of them it's not to pass exams they're doing it for a range of things Yeah, it's a really good point to make. So we do unaccredited courses and we also do accredited courses. Again, they're low level linked to funding. So we focus on level one and two predominantly. But then that can really set people up for going into higher education if that's something that they want to do. But with the short courses, they can try so many different things throughout a year. So they can do painting, they can do sculpture, they can do jewellery. So it really allows them to pick and choose their own curriculum. Does that mean you've ended up teaching different aspects of art that you wouldn't normally have practiced yourself? Yeah, definitely. So we have specialised tutors. So I'm an art and design tutor. So I wouldn't be in the jewellery making classes (laughs) because that'd be well out of my remit. But I'll do drawing, painting, sculpture and things like that. Whereas my art practice is installation based and I use text and language in my own art practice which isn't something that we really cover in adult community learning it's quite niche (laughs) so we focus more on the mainstream art skills that most people are looking to develop and could you tell me a little bit more about your particular style yeah so really it's been developing since I was doing my GCSE art I always put text with my artwork and people were like why (laughs) but I like the storytelling narrative of it and as you probably heard from my pre-record I'm all about storytelling I like communicating with people as well and interacting with an audience that isn't necessarily an art audience and the thing with text and language is if you have the skill set to be able to read English your brain just reads it when you see it so you make people interact with the artwork even if they don't want to which I think is quite fun and playful because I'll put my work in situations outside of a gallery context so it might just be in the countryside for example or in other buildings as well as galleries so that you then kind of get that alternative audience. Amazing and yes as you said in your pre-recording you mentioned that you chose methodologies because of their link to storytelling and I wondered if you could elaborate a bit more on that. Yeah so it wasn't something that I went into the PhD thinking that I would do to be honest. I started with the autoethnography just as a way of reflecting on what I was doing 
I've never been a creative writer, if you like. So text has always been in my art practice, but I've always thought of it as a fine art practice rather than myself as a writer. So I think it's about that positionality as well. So it kind of comes naturally to me, I guess, the whole writing and storytelling aspect. And then when I was looking at different methodologies, I settled on grounded theory because it was so important. If I'm going to tell the story or research into people in an unknown sector, it can't just come from me, it needs to come from them. So the grounded theory came quite naturally and then autoethnography seemed to fit into it quite nicely. And then the life story interviewing just felt like the missing puzzle piece. It felt like a really good middle ground where I could get them to tell a story. So I do kind of a semi-structured interview with them for about 20 minutes, half an hour first to kind of loosen them up. And then we'll go into the life story interviewing. And I'll be like, you've said most of this already, but now let's just reframe it. And because you're working with creative people in these interviews anyway, they get into it quite quickly, I think, because they can think about it in a different way. And they liked exploring it. And a lot of them were saying, oh, I've never thought about it like that before, which is perfect, really. It's what you want. You want them to take something from the interview as well. Yeah, for sure. And how has that been positioning yourself as part of it? And also you mentioned about being able to facilitate the research to people outside of that world and you can make an impact by being a part of it yourself. I never really felt like I could not be part of it. I think the motivation was so strongly linked to myself. When I started writing my research proposal, I was working three different jobs. One of them was working in adult future learning. I was also working in HE as like a study skills advisor. And on my lunch breaks, I'd go to the library and I'd write this research proposal about being an artist teacher in adult community learning. So I was like, even though I have these other jobs, that's the identity that I kept coming back to. And to be fair, it was the identity that I spent the least amount of time on, but it was the most important one to me. It was been there right from the get-go, I guess. And then the autoethnography gave me a grounding in which it legitimised that, I think, because before I hadn't come across autoethnography, I mean, I'd done like an MA in fine art and I'd done teacher training and those things you know, never really came up in those courses. Um, so it was new to me and it was really exciting to see that you can actually do this and you can turn academic writing on its head if you like. And it feels like the perfect time. It feels like it's far more accepted uh, now than if I was to try and do this, I guess, even a few years ago. Maybe I would have come up against some more barriers, but everyone's been really receptive to it. And my supervisors have said it's great, actually, because it breaks up the writing and makes it interesting to read. So you're not just reading, you know, loads and loads of theory. You can have a little bit of storytelling in there as well. Which definitely makes it more accessible. Was there a particular moment or reason that you decided, I want to do research on this? I've always joked about becoming a doctor. I don't know why. Even from when I was quite young, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor one day. <laughs> And I guess it's just that thing, like maybe I just envisioned it and, and then it happened. <laughs> but I love being in education. So I done like I done my BA and then I done my teach training and then I done my MA back to back. And then I contacted someone who is my supervisor now saying, Oh, I want to do a PhD and he said, You need to go into the real world. <laughs> so I took two years out. And I was teaching, so I didn't, you know, didn't stray too far from the education, but it's very different teaching to being the student. And then I just kept trying to write my proposal. 
And I didn't have enough time. So as I said before, I was working three jobs. One of them, I was working three days a week and I was commuting four hours each day. So there just wasn't time. And you think, oh, I'm on a train. I'm going to get so much done. But you don't. You're so so exhausted. <laughs> and then that's really where the pandemic was my silver lining. Because I suddenly gained all of that commute time. I was at home. I had time to write my research proposal. And then I could apply. I had my interview online. And it all went really well. So I should say I'm with Norwich University of the Arts. And that is why I'm doing kind of research into artist teachers I felt like I should be at an art university doing that rather than at just a university that was interested in education because I wanted it to be informed by the right people and people with that lived experience as well. So yeah, I guess it's just been a natural progression. There's no one in my personal life that has a PhD. So it's not like I'm surrounded by doctors and it was like there was an expectation for me to do that. (laughs) So I don't really know where it came from other than the fact that I've just loved post-compulsory education. Compulsory education, I did not enjoy. But (laughs) as soon as I got to that point where it was my choice, I was like, don't make me leave. I'm staying here. (laughs) You touch on these when you talked about the instability of the work and the hours and stuff and also the gender imbalance is it possible to separate the research from the kind of social and political constraints or is it a part of what makes this a particular area i think if you're talking about anything like education then politics is unavoidable and particularly the way we're funded we're funded by the government i try not to be overly political just because there's other people that do that and they can do it much better than i can but even in my artwork i always try to avoid the political (laughs) but yeah it definitely comes up and you know when you're looking at things like gender equality and when you're looking at acl in comparison to he and the gender split you have more men tend to work in HE and then you have to think about the the wage gap that that brings as well because you obviously earn more money in HE than you do in adult community learning so it's interesting that you get this gender split but the other thing that I'm moving on to in my research is also looking at the like race split as well because everyone that I've interviewed has been white everyone that I work with is predominantly white and you think of all of the things you're missing out on by not having people from different ethnic backgrounds or minority backgrounds um, or even social class backgrounds because you have to be in a certain position, I guess, to be able to teach in adult community learning and that is why it takes up such a little part of my week is because I have to do other jobs to financially sustain myself even though they don't really feed into my identity, they're more of a necessity. So it's quite interesting, I think. Yeah, very interesting. And I think it definitely is reflected in different areas of the the education system as well. So you have these jobs that aren't necessarily part of your identity. You said something very interesting about wanting to, you know, provide a different definition of what it means to be an artist teacher in your pre-recording, talking about being a dual citizen. I wondered if you could tell me a bit about how they inform each other or how they complement each other as a as a composite, as opposed to being two separate parts. Yeah, I think defining the role is really important. And I think context is really important. And again, going back to my art practice, I look at text and context when I'm working with installation work. So it's something that's always in the back of my mind when I'm placing language anywhere. And you can say you're an artist teacher, and that can mean one thing. And I think the definitions that I give in that pre-record, they do go some way. Like you say, they talk about 
being a dual citizen. They talk about being dedicated to both. But with the context missing, you miss so much of that because I can be dedicated to both. But that doesn't tell you anything about how that dedication is split. Is it an equal dedication or is it like I'm 80% dedicated to the art practice and 20% dedicated to the teaching or vice versa? So having the context of what it means to teach an adult future learning, I think, helps with that. And none of the definitions that I've come across for the ones shared in the pre-record and wider definitions for like gallery learning and things like that really talk about the context explicitly within that within the definition. They might want you go into the further reading, but I think if you're going to give someone a title, you need to know what it means. So, you know, you could have an artist teacher in secondary education, an artist teacher in higher education. And the first part of that definition might be very similar. I just think it's going to be the second half that makes people go, oh, okay, I understand what it is. You do, and particularly with adult community learning not necessarily being a term that everyone is used to anyway, that needs defining in itself and making more prominent and widely available, I think. You mentioned about the fact that when you started out, you were spending a lot of time on your own, on your work. And it came to a point where you realised that it appeared that you worked better when you were in the thick of it, I think were the words you used. And how how does that factor in as part of your identity? You think of it as quite a closed insular thing, but actually it was being part of the community that brought this part of your identity out, so to speak. Yeah, I think community is really important, regardless of what you do. And even outside of professionalism, I mean, I live in a a village anyway so it's that whole you know it takes a village to raise a child thing and I think that is applicable throughout everything you do when I first started with ACL I wasn't really seeing any of my colleagues because I mean there's so few of us and then you tend to be working kind of one at a time because we have two art rooms in the centre that I'm based at anyway so the tutors I was meeting in the staff room weren't necessarily art tutors I mean they were lovely really interesting people But I couldn't just go, oh, I'm delivering this drawing workshop this afternoon. Does anyone have any suggestions (laughs) or things like that? And I think that's always been something really important to me throughout my art education is I always joke I leave kind of communities of practice wherever I've been. So when I done my MA, I started a community of practice for the MA students where we would meet informally. And one of my other jobs is working for space. I work at Space Colchester and I run a creative practitioner support programme with them. And that is to help artists share. And it's aimed predominantly at people that are outside of education. So maybe they've just graduated and they've lost that group crit. And I think coming from an art background, your use from a very early point in your education from constantly sharing your work and getting the feedback and I feel like that's missing in teaching it's certainly not something that I've experienced until I was kind of pushing for it to happen and again lockdown happened everything went online so suddenly people were turning up to team meetings because they didn't have to drive to a different center that wasn't near their home so I started meeting my colleagues for like the first time really and I'd been working there for three, four years, I guess. And I started like an online chat every Wednesday. I was like, I'll just log in. Like no one was paying me to do it, but I just thought, we're in a lockdown anyway. (laughs) No one's got anything to do. And that was the start of that thinking process, really. And then I joined other communities of practice for artist teachers, but I found that adult community learning wasn't catered for particularly. So they're very much focused on secondary education 
I mean, as they would, because there's statistically more secondary education teachers than there are ACL teachers. But even now, the thinking with that's kind of moved on. So now primary schools are having their own networks for artist teachers, not necessarily specialist artist teachers because of the way primary education is organised, but they're having meetings where they can talk about art in primary. And that just made me think, well, that is needed for adult community learning. It doesn't matter how few of us they are, it's still going to be beneficial for those people that exist and you know I put that into my research questions and my, my online surveys and my interviews and whenever I mentioned it in an interview you could just see people's faces light up because some people were literally the only person employed by their local authority so they're never going to have a community of practice at work it will just be them sitting in a room you know drinking a cup of coffee so it's thinking about how you can bring these people together that have a very niched experience and it's enriched me just I kept saying to my interviews, I was like, I'm, I'm the one that's in the privileged position here because I'm interviewing people. I've interviewed, I think, 15 artist teachers. And each time, you know, I got something from them as well because you chat a bit before the interview, a bit after the interview, and you keep in touch. I feel like it really helps me develop, I think, and bring some of that kind of art practice or art best practice into teaching practice. And do you think that that also enhances a sense of personal identity and community identity yeah I think when you're with other people that identify in the same way as you it reinforces your identity or maybe makes it a little bit more valid because if you're just doing it on your own like when I was writing my research proposal that was one of the motivations I was like well I can't literally be the only person doing this job (laughs) that would be silly and there was that want to connect and I guess the research gave me the time and more motivation to go out and do that whereas when you're juggling those of things it's just an idea which you think would you know a pipe dream of oh it'd be great to meet these other artist teachers but I don't know perhaps the research may made it feel a bit more legitimate for me to email people that I've never met before and go hey do you want to chat to me about your identity as an artist teacher <laughs> whereas without that research backing maybe I'll just be a strange woman off the internet yeah well thank you on that lovely note i'd like to thank you very much for joining us and best of luck with the rest of the research thank you huge thanks to abby for her wonderful piece and sparkling conversation and thank you to you for listening today we have some great ideas in the pipeline but we're always excited to hear from any researchers or indeed practitioners from within the arts and humanities world as well as anybody would like to get involved in making the podcast so if you'd like to contribute in any way please do email us at technicaster at gmail.com alternatively you can check out our call for papers on our updated website where you can also listen to past episodes and learn more about the technicast the link is in the episode description finally a big thank you to techne for their continued support i'll catch you later